too, discusses not only the true and the traditional East and West, but even a twofold Aram, one, under the solstice, the other under the equinoctial zone, Aram he finds not to be in the center of the real world, but only of the traditional, in another passage of the Opus Majus, Bacon, our first English worker in the exact sciences, allows the world summit not to be exactly 90 degrees from the east, although so placed by mathematicians, yet there is no contradiction, he urges, because the men of theory are, speaking of the habitable world known to them, according to the true understanding of latitude and longitude, and this, true understanding, is, not as great as has been realized in travel by Pliny and others, the longitude of the habitable world is more than half of the whole circuit, this, reproduced in the Amigo Mundi of Cardinal Peter L. Lee 1410, fell into the hands of Columbus and helped to fix his doctrines of the shape of the world, in the form of a pair, of the terrestrial paradise, and of the Earth's circumference, so enormously contracted as practically to abolish the Pacific. Footnote 11, in Columbus' letters to Queen Isabella in 1498, we catch, as it were, the last echo of the Arabic melange of Moses and Greek geography along with the results of Roger Bacon's corrections of Ptolemy, the old hemisphere, he writes, which has for its center the Isle of Aram, is spherical, but the other new hemisphere has the form of the lower half of a pear, just 100 leagues west of the Azores the earth rises at the equator and the temperature grows keener, the summit is over against the mouth of the Orinoco, to a return to the Arabs, we have seen how they not merely followed Greek theories, which their own experience as conquerors in the further east went to discredit, but, in the great outlines of geography, added to earlier errors, put prejudice in the place of knowledge, and handed on to Christendom a half-fanciful map of the world, it only remains for us to illustrate their leading fault, of a too vivid fancy, with a few details on minor points, 1. Ptolemy's habitable quarter of the world, amounting to just half the longitude of the globe, was literally accepted by the Moslem world, as it accepted the Pentateuch from the moment when it began its study of science at the court of Al-Mamun 813-833, but, as the conquests of the Caliphs disclosed districts in the east far beyond Ptolemy's limits, it was necessary, in case of keeping his data for the whole, to compress the part which alone was to be found fully described in his chart, on the west, and happily, there were no countries newly discovered to compensate for this abridgment. By Masaudi's time, by the 10th century, fact and theory were thus hopelessly at variance. 2. On the shape of Africa, the mass of Arabic opinion confirmed Ptolemy, but among the more enlightened there is traceable from Masaudi's time a tendency either to react towards Strabo's partly agnostic position, or to invent some new theory rather more in harmony with the known facts. That island either their later map makers cut off Africa at Cape Non or Bajander and Cape Gardafoy and gave away the rest to the green sea of darkness, or, like Massaudi, they sketched a great southern continent, divided from Africa by a narrow channel, which connected the western ocean with the sea of Habez of Abyssinia or India, in either case Africa was left an island. 3. The words, Gog and Magog, from Jeremiah, describing the nomads of Central Asia, appear in the Koran as Yajuj and Majuj, the complete story, in the 10th century and in a dry-sized day connects them with Alexander the Great, who was also found in the Koran as Dulkar name, and with the wall of China, when the conqueror, said the Arabs, reached the place near where the sun rose, he was implored to build a wall to shut off the marauders of Yajuj and Majuj from the rich countries of the south, so he built a rampart of iron across the pass by which alone Duran joined Iran, 
and henceforth Turks and Tartars were kept outside, till the Arabs reached the Caucasus. They generally supposed this to answer to Alexander's wall, when facts dispelled this theory. The unknown Ural or Altai mountains served instead, finally, as the Muslims became masters of Central Asia, the wall of China, beyond the Gobi Desert, alone satisfied the conditions of shadowy but historic grandeur, beyond all practical danger of verification, for, in striking contrast with the steady advance of Arabic exploration and trade in the Eastern Sea is the Muslim horror of the Western Ocean beyond Europe and Africa, the Green Sea of Darkness, or the Atlantic. And what we have to note is that they imparted much of this paralyzing cowardice to the Christian nations. Only the Northmen of Scandinavia, living a life apart, and forced to make their way over the wild North Sea, were untouched by the southern superstition, and ventured across the ocean by the Faroes, Iceland, and Greenland, to the coast of Labrador. The doctors of the Koran indeed thought that a man mad enough to embark for the unknown, even on a coasting voyage, should be deprived of civil rights. Ibn Said goes further, and says no one has ever done this, whirlpools always destroy any adventurer, as late as the generation immediately before Henry the Navigator, about AD 1490, another light of Muslim science declared the Atlantic to be, boundless, so that ships dare not venture out of sight of land, for even if the sailors knew the direction of the winds, they would not know whither those winds would carry them, and as there is no inhabited country beyond, they would run a risk of being lost in mist fog, and vapor, the limit of the west is the Atlantic Ocean, this was the final judgment of the Arabic race and its subject allies upon the western limits of the world, and in two ways they helped to fix this belief, derived from the timid coasting traders of the Roman Empire on Greek and Latin Christendom, first, the Spanish Caliphate cut off all access to the western sea beyond the Bay of Biscay, from the 8th to the 12th centuries, not till the capture of Lisbon in 1147, could Christian enterprise on this side gain any basis, or starting point, not till the conquest of the Algarve in the extreme southwest of the peninsula, at the end of the 12th century, was this enterprise free to develop itself. Secondly, in the darkest ages of Christian depression, the 7th, the 8th, the 9th, the 10th centuries, when only the brief age of Charlemagne offered any chance of an independent and progressive Catholic empire in the West, the Arabs became recognized along with the Byzantines as the main successors of Greek culture, the science, the metaphysic, the abstract ideas of these centuries came into Germany, France, and Italy from Cordova and from Baghdad, as much as from Byzantium, and on questions like the South Atlantic or Indian Ocean, or the shape of Africa, where Islam had all the field to itself, and there was no positive and earlier discovery which might contradict a natural reluctance to test tradition by experiment Christendom accepted the Arabic verdict with deference, in the same way, on still more difficult points, such as the theory of a canal from the Caspian to the Black Sea, or from the Caspian to the Arctic Circle, or from the Black Sea to the Baltic, Paris and Rome and Bologna and Oxford accepted the Arabic descriptions, it has been necessary for us to attend to the defects of Arabic geography in order to understand how in the long Saracen control of the world's trade routes and of geographical tradition, science and seamanship were so little advanced, between Ptolemy and Henry of Portugal, between the 2nd and the 15th centuries, the only great extension of men's knowledge of the world was, one in the extreme north, where the semi-Christian, semi-pagan Vikings reached perhaps as far as the present site of New York and founded, on another side, the medieval kingdom of Russia, to on the southeast coast of Africa, 
from Cape Gardafoy to Madagascar, which was opened up by the trading interest of the Amosed family 8001300-3 in the Far East, in Central and Further Asia, by the discoveries of Marco Polo and the friar preachers following on the tracks of the earlier Muslim travelers. The first of these was a northern secret, soon forgotten, or an abortive development, cut short by the Tartars, the second was an Arabic secret, jealously guarded as a commercial right, the third alone added much direct new knowledge to the main part of the civilized world, but throughout their period of commercial rule from the 8th to the 12th centuries, the Arabs took a keen interest in land traffic, conquest, and exploration, they were of small account at sea, it took them some time to turn to their own purposes Hippolyte's discovery in the 2nd century AD of the monsoon in the Indian Ocean, but, on land, Muslim travelers and writers generally following in the wake of their armies, but sometimes pressing on ahead of them did not a little to enlarge the horizon of the Mohammedan world, though it was not till Marco Polo and the Franciscan missionaries of the 13th and 14th centuries, that Christian Europe shared in this game, as the early caliphs conquered. They made surveys of their new dominions. Thus after Tarak and Naza had overrun Spain, Walid at Damascus required from them an account of the land and its resources. The universal obligation of the Mecca pilgrimage compelled every Muslim to travel once in his life, and many an Arab, after the caliphate was settled in power from the Oxus to the Pyrenees, journeyed to and fro with the joy of a master going over vast estates, showing his dreaded turban to subjects of every nation. This, however, was not geographical science, or even pseudo-science. Before Mohammed the Arabs had possessed some knowledge of the stars and used it for astrology, but it was at the court of Al-Mamun 813-833 that their inquiring spirits first set themselves to answer the great question of geography where, through the 9th and 10th centuries there arose a succession of travelers and thinkers who, with all their wild dreamings, preserve the best results of Greek maps and would have made much greater advances but for their helplessness in original work, as they could not recast Aristotle in philosophy, so they could not with all their new knowledge of the further east recast the geography of Ptolemy and Strabo. A few great ages, the age for instance of Al-Mamun in Baghdad AD 830, of Mahmud in Ghazni AD 1000, of Abdurrahman II in Cordova AD 950, give us the history of Arabic geography. Beginning in the latter years of the 8th century, Muslim science was reformed and organized, in the new empire, by the patronage of the caliphs of the 9th, itineraries of victorious generals, plans and tables prepared by governors of provinces, and a freshly acquired knowledge of Greek and Indian and Persian thought, made up the subject matter of study. The barbarism of the first believers was passing away, and Mohammed's words were recalled, seek knowledge, even in China. By the end of the 8th century Ptolemy's geography and the now lost work of Marinus of Tyre had already been translated. Al-Mamun drew to his court all the chief mathematicians or philosophers of Islam, such as Mohammed al-Kharismi, al-Thargani, and Solomon the Merchant. Further he built two observatories, one at Baghdad, one at Damascus, and procured a chart fixing the latitude and longitude of every place known to him or his savants. Al-Kharismi interpolated the new Arabic Ptolemy with additions from the Sanskrit, and made some use of Indian trigonometry. Al-Fergani wrote the first Arab treatise on the astrolabe and adopted the Greek division of the seven climates to the new learning. Solomon, at the time of closest intercourse between China, India, and the Caliphate, traveled in every country of the further east, sailed in the Sea of Pitchy Darkness on the east coast of Asia, 
and by his voyages became the prototype of Sinbad the sailor. The impulse given by Al-Mamun did not die with him. About 850 al made a fresh version of Ptolemy, as early as 840 the Caliph Vatikbila sent to explore the countries of Central Asia, and his results have been preserved by a dry side. A few years later see 890 Ibn son of the Magi, described the principal trade routes, the Indian by the Red Sea from Jeddah to Sindh, the Russian by the Volga and North Caspian, the Persian by way of Balk to China. It was by this last that some had thought the envoys of the English King Alfred went in 883, till they turned south to seek India and the Christians of Santom. The early scientific movement in Islam reached its height in Albany and Masaudi at the beginning of the 10th century. The former determined, more exactly than before, various problems of astronomical geography. The latter visited every country from further India to Spain, even China and Madagascar seem to have been within the compass of his later travels, and his voyages in the Indian Ocean bring us to the real Sinbad saga of the 10th century. Sinbad, as his story appears in the Arabian Nights, has been traced to an original in the Indian tales of the Seven Sages, in the voyages of the age of Chosroz Neshurvan or of Harun al-Rashid, but the tale appears to be an Arabic original, the real account with a little more of mystery and exaggeration than usual, of the 9th and 10th century travelers, from Solomon to Masaudi, reproduced in form of a series of novels. Footnote 13, with the Sinbad story is connected the historical extension of the Arab settlements in the East African coast through the enterprise of the Amosed family. With Masaudi begins also the formal discussion of geographical problems affecting Islam. Was the Caspian a landlocked sea? Did it connect with the Euxine? Did either or both of these join the Arctic Ocean? Was Africa an island? If so, was there also an unknown southern continent? What was the shape of southeastern Asia? Was Ptolemy's longitude to be wholly accepted? And if not, how was it to be bettered? By a use of Strabo and of Albany rather than of Ptolemy, Masaudi arrived at fairly accurate and very plausible results. His chief novelties were the long river channel from the Sea of Azov to the North Sea and the strait between South Africa and the shadowy southern continent. On his scheme the Indian Ocean, or Sea of Habage, contains most of the water surface of the world, and the Sea of Aral appears for the first time in Muslim geography. Lastly his account of the Arab coasting voyages from the Persian Gulf to Socotra and Madagascar proves, implicitly, that as yet there was no use of the compass. Masaudi cut down the girth of the world even more than Ptolemy. The latter had left an ocean to the west of Africa, the former made the Canaries or Fortunate Islands, the limit of the known western world, abut upon India, the limit of the eastern. The first age of Arabic geography ends with Masaudi, its greatest name, in the middle of the 10th century. The second age is summed up in the work of the eastern sage Al-Barani and of the dry side, the Arabic Ptolemy AD 1099-1154, who found a home at the Christian court of Roger of Sicily in the Far East and West alike, in Spain and Morocco, in Khorasan and India, Muslim science was now driven to take refuge among strangers on the decay of the caliphates of Baghdad and Cordova. The Ghaznavids Mahmud and Masoud in the first half of the 11th century, attracted to their court not only Firdusi and Avicenna, but Al-Barani, whose canon became a textbook of Mohammedan science, and who, for the range of his knowledge and the trained subtlety of his mind, stands without a rival for his time. The Spanish school, as resulting directly in a dry side, half Muslim, half Christian, like his teachers, is of still more interest. 
One of its first traces may be found in the Latin translation of the Arab Almanac made by Bishop Herod of Cordova in 961. It was dedicated and presented to Caliph Hakim one of our clearest proofs of the conscious interworking of Catholic and Mahometan philosophy in the age of Pope Sylvester II, and of our own St. Dunstan, a century later, on the recapture of Toledo by Alfonso VI, 1084, an observatory was built, served by Jews and Muslims, who had been steadily producing, through the whole of the 11th century, astronomical and geographical tables and dictionaries a whole tribe of commentators on place names, on the climates and constellations, and on geographical instruments was at work in this last age of the Spanish Caliphate, and their results are brought together by Abu Hamid of Granada and by Adrisi. Footnote 14, the school of Persian mathematicians who produced the maps of Alistaclirated and Hankal, the book of latitudes and longitudes, ascribed by Abulfida to Al-Farabi the Turk, was the immediate descendant of Al-Barani. Born at Ceuta in 1099, this great geographer traveled through Spain, France, the Western Mediterranean, and North Africa before settling at the Norman court of Palermo. Roger, the most civilized prince in Christendom, the final product of the great race of Robert Giscard and William the Conqueror, valued Adrisi at his proper worth, refused to part with him, and employed men in every part of the world to collect materials for his study. Thus the Moor gained not only for the Muslim world but for Southern Europe as well, an approximate knowledge even of Norway, Sweden, Finland, and the coasts of the White Sea. His work, dedicated to Roger and called after him, Al-Rajari, was rewarded with a peerage, and it was as a Sicilian count that he finished his celestial sphere and terrestrial disc of silver, on which was inscribed all the circuit of the known world and all the rivers thereof. Each of his great Arabic predecessors, along with Eratosthenes, Ptolemy, and Strabo, was welded into his system the result of 15 years of abstract study, following some 30 of practical activity in travel. Footnote 15, the world he divided by climates in the Greek manner, taking no account of political divisions, or of those resting on language or religion. Each climate was further subdivided into 10 sections, in the shape of Africa he followed Ptolemy. A special note may be made on a dry size account of the voyage of the Lisbon, Wanderers, Marowarians, sometime before 1147, the date of the final Christian capture of the Portuguese capital, for this is the earliest recorded voyage, since the rise of Islam, definitely undertaken on the Western Ocean to learn what was on it and what were its limits. The Wanderers, Idrisi tells us, were eight in number, all related to one another, they built a transport boat took on board water and provisions for many months, and started with the first east wind. After eleven days, they reached a sea whose thick waters exhaled a fetid odor, concealed numerous reefs, and were but faintly lighted. Fearing for their lives, they changed their course, steered southwards twelve days, and so reached an island, possibly Madeira, which they called Algonim from the sheep found there, without shepherd or anyone to tend them. On landing, they found a spring of running water and some wild figs. They killed some sheep, but found the flesh so bitter that they could not eat it, and only took the skins. Sailing south twelve more days, they found an island with houses and cultivated fields, but as they neared it they were surrounded, made prisoners, and carried in their own boats to a city on the seashore, to a house where were men of tall stature and women of great beauty. Here they stayed three days, and on the fourth came a man, the king's interpreter who spoke Arabic, and asked them who they were and what they wanted. They replied they were seeking out the wonders of the ocean and its limits, 
At this the king laughed heartily, and said to the interpreter, Tell them my father once ordered some of his slaves to venture out on that sea and after sailing across the breadth of it for a month, they found themselves deprived of the light of the sun and returned without having learned anything. Then the wanderers were sent back to their prison till a west wind arose, when they were blindfolded and put on board a boat, and after three days reached the mainland of Africa. Here they were put ashore, with their hands tied, and so left. They were released by the Berbers, and after their reappearance in Spain, a street at the foot of the hot bath in Lisbon, concludes the dry side, took the name of Street of the Wanderers, on the other extremity of the Moslem world, on the southeast coast of Africa, there was more real progress, by a dry sized day that important addition of Arabic travelers and merchants to the geographical knowledge of the world, by the remarkable trade ventures of the Amosids, had been already made, it had taken long in the making, about AD 742. Ten years after the Battle of Tours, the Amosad family, descended from Ali, cousin and son-in-law of Mahomet, tried to mix it, their clan chieftain, Ali's great-grandson, Caliph at Damascus, the attempt was foiled, and the whole tribe fled, sailed down the Red Sea and African coast, and established themselves as traders in the Sea of India, first of all, Socotra seems to have been their mart and capital but before the end of the 10th century they had founded merchant colonies at Melinda, Mombasa, and Mozambique, which, in their turn, led to settlements on the opposite coasts of Asia. Thus the trade of the Indian Ocean was secured for Islam. The first Muslim settlements arose in Malabar, and when the Portuguese broke into the Smear Clausum, in 1497-8, they found a belt of Moorish coast towns, from Magadoxo to Kilo controlling both the Indian and the inland African trades, as Ibn Battuta had found in 1330, by a dry-sized day. Moreover, the steady persistence and self-evident results of Arabic overland exploration had become recognized by a sort of traveler's doctorate. It was not enough for the highest knowledge to study the Koran, and the Sunnah, and the Greek philosophers at home, for a perfect education. A man must have traveled at least through the length and breadth of Islam. All the successors of Idrisi, in the 12th and 13th centuries, show this mingling of science and religion, of practical and speculative energy. Tradition still governed Muslim thought, but there had come into being a sort of half-acknowledged appendix to tradition, made up of real observations on men and things, and in these observations, geographical interest was the main factor. The life of Al-Harafi of Herod 1173-1215 the Dr. Ubiquitous of Islam in the Age of the Crusades, gives us a picture of another Masaudi, the friend of the Emperor Manuel Komnenus, the first man among Christians. Harafi seems able in his own person to break down the partition wall of religious feud by the common interest of science. In 1192 he was offered the patronage of the crusading princes, and Richard Coeur de Lyon begged for the favor of an interview, and begged in vain. Harafi, who had been on one of his exploring journeys, angrily refused to see the king whose men had broken his quiet and wasted his time. Before his death, he had run over the world men said from China to the Pyrenees and from Abyssinia to the Danube, scribbling his name on every wall, and his survey of the Eastern Empire was the single matter in which Turks and Romans made common cause, for Greeks and Latins at Byzantium like Red Herathy, like a Christian doctor. Another example of the same Catholic spirit is Yaku the Roman, whose dictionary finished in the earlier half of the 13th century, was a summary of geographical advance since Idrisi, like the similar work of Ibn Zed, of the same period, footnote 16, 
Yaku, the ruby, originally a Greek slave, who made a brave but fruitless attempt to change his name into a Yakout or Jacob, became one of the greatest of Arab encyclopedists, was checked by the hordes of Genghis Khan in his exploration of Central Asia, and died 1229. But as a matter of fact, the balance both of knowledge and power was now shifting from Islam to Christendom. The most daring and successful travelers after the rise of the Mongols were the Venetian Marco Polo and the friar preachers who revived Chinese Christianity 1270-1350, Madeira and the Canaries off Muslim Africa were finally rediscovered not by Arabic enterprise, but by the Italian Malocello in 1270, by the English Mikam in the reign of our Edward III, and by Portuguese ships under Genoese captains in 1341, in 1291 the Vivaldi ventured beyond Cape Bajander where no lure had ever been, except by force of storm, as in the doubtful story of Ibn Fadima, who, first saw the white headland, Cape Blanco, between Cape Bajander and Cape Verde. In the 14th century the map of Idrisi was superseded by the new Italian plans and coast charts, or Portolani. As the Muslim world fell into political disorder, its science declined. Judicial astrology seemed gaining a stronger and stronger hold over Islam and the eruption of the Turks gradually resulted in the ruin of all the higher Muslim culture. Superstition and barbarism shared the honor and the spoils of this victory. But two great names closed the 500 years of Arab learning. 1. Ibn Battuta c. 1430, who made himself as much at home in China as in his native Morocco, is the last of Mohammedan travelers of real importance, though we have only abridgments of his work left to us. Colonel Yuli is well within his rights in his deliberate judgment that it must rank at least as one of the four chief guidebooks of the Middle Ages, along with the book of Sir Marco Polo and the journals of the two friar travelers, Friar Oderick and Friar William de Rubrukis. 2. With a ball feed in the Eastern school of Muslim geography comes to an end, as the Western does with Ibn Battuta. In the early years of the 14th century he rewrote the story and description of the land of Islam, with a completeness quite encyclopedic, but his work has all the failings of a compilation however careful, in that, or any, age, it is based upon information, not upon inspection, it is in no sense original, as it began in imitation, so it ended, if it rejects Ptolemy, it is only to follow Strabo or someone else, on all the mathematical and astronomical data its doctrine is according to the Alexandrians of 1200 years before, and this last precy of the science of a great race and a great religion can only be understood in the light of its maudlin Greek geography. Chapter I Early Christian Pilgrims, circa 333-867. The special interest of the life and work of Henry the Navigator 1394-1460 lies in the relation it bears to the general expansion of Europe and Christendom an expansion that had been slowly gathering strength since the 11th century. But even before the tide had turned in the age of Hildebrand and the First Crusade, even from the time that Constantine founded the Christian Empire of Rome, the Christian capital on the Bosphorus, and the state church of the Western world, pilgrimage, trade, conquest, and colonization had been successively calling out the energies of the moving races, the motor muscles, of Europe. It is through the generous Henry, Prince of Portugal, that this activity is brought to its third and triumphant stage to the time of Columbus and Diego and Magellan, but it is only by tracing the earlier progress of that outward movement, which has made Europe the ruling civilization of the world that we can fairly grasp the import of that transition in which Henry is the hero. More than any other single man he is the author of the discovering movement of the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries. 
and by this movement India has been conquered, America repeopled, the world made clear, and the civilization which the Roman Empire left behind has conquered or utterly overshadowed every one of its old rivals and superiors Islam, India, China, Tartary, but before the 15th century, before the birth of Prince Henry, Christendom, Greek and Latin, was at best only one of the greater civilizing and conquering forces struggling for mastery, before the age of the Crusades, before the 11th century, it was plainly weaker than the Muslim powers, it seemed unable to fight against Slav or Scandinavian heathendom, it was only saved by distance from becoming a province of China, India, the world's great prize, was cut off from it by the Arabs, even before the rise of Islam, under Constantine or Theodosius or Justinian, the church state of the Byzantine Caesars, though then ruling in almost every province of Trajan's empire, was in a splendid but sure decline from the exhaustion of the southern races. Our story then begins naturally with the worst time and climbs up for a thousand years, from the heathen and Mohammedan conquests of the 5th and 7th centuries, to the reversal of that judgment, of those conquests, in the 15th. The expansion of Europe is going on all this time, but at our beginning, in the years before and after Pope Gregory the Great, even the legacy of Greece and Rome, in wide knowledge of the world and practical exploring energy, seemed to have passed from sight, and in the decline of the old empire, while Constantine and Justinian are said to receive and exchange embassies with the court of China, there is no real extension of geographical knowledge or outlook. Christian enterprise in this field is mainly one of pilgrimage, and the pilgrims only cease to be important when the Northmen, first heathen, then Christian, begin to lead, in a very different manner, the expansion of Europe, into this folk wandering of the Vikings, the first great outward movement of our Europe in the Middle Ages, is absorbed the reviving energy of trade, as well as the ever-growing impulse of pilgrimage, the Vikings are the highest type of explorers, they do not merely find out new lands and trade with them, but conquer and colonize them, they extend not merely the knowledge, but the whole state and being of Europe, to a new world, Lastly, the partial activity of commerce and religion made universal and political by the leading Western race for itself only is taken up by all Christendom in the Crusades, borrowed in idea from Spain, but borrowed with the spirit of the Norse rovers, and made universal for the Latin world, for the whole Federation of Rome. In the 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries we had the preparation for the discovery and colonization of the outside world by Europeans in the 15th, 16th and 17th centuries of the Christian era. From the conversion of Constantine to the Reformation the story of Christendom is unbroken, the later Roman Empire is the church state of a Christian prince, as modern Europe is the church state of a nominally Christian society. Medieval Europe thought of itself as nothing.